Welcome to this amazing, mind-blowing podcast. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibit the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. All right, it's history time here on Radio 191 FM. And as always, we're out for the second time. Joined by Dr. Violetta Gilbert. Morena to you. Kia ora, Jamie. Thank you for having me yet again. Hey, you're more than welcome. It's so good to have you here um, to talk about these little bits of history, New Zealand history, that we either don't know much about or know nothing at all. Uh, yes. And maybe that's deliberate. Well, perhaps. I mean, we'll do our best to rectify it today. We will. And we're going to be talking about the temperance movement in Aotearoa. Uh, and which, uh, you know, I guess you could say temperance movement and, and prohibition, but the two are the same thing, essentially, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, so what was or still is the temperance movement? Well, um, if we're... Well, prohibition and temperance, it's worth kind of distinguishing them, though. As you said, they kind of merge into the same concern, which is around controlling alcohol. Um, but temperance was the support of moderate consumption, restraints, not full-blown alcoholism. Prohibition was... Um, just restricting alcohol completely to just prevent that from being a possibility at all. So temperance was controlled sale, prohibition was none. Um, and yeah, it was uh, one of well New Zealand's largest popular movements um, yes. surrounding yeah, since surrounding the control of liquor in the late 19th century, and it tied into a lot of other very significant uh, events and um, ideas in New Zealand, like women's suffrage. Mm. And um, so, yeah, we've, um, we've got a lot to unpack here. We do, and that's gonna, I, I, I can't wait to get to the suffrage part because that's a little-known fact in Aotearoa, the tie-in between the two, and really if it wasn't for the movement, maybe we wouldn't have it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, we would by now, surely. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and the by now thing, I could just imagine if there was a massive temperance movement now and they tried to do what they did back then. It would be crazy. It would never work, surely. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really see those arguments going down terribly well in New Zealand like they uh, did back in the day, but I guess we have history to explain that, you know, New Zealand's a very different place today to what it was back then, and back then, arguably, uh, alcohol was a problem. Yeah, well, it is now. <laughs> Still, too. But, yeah, I mean, it was a big problem back then because it was kind of unregulated, right? It was mm. rampant, out of control, uh, and you still had that traditional back-then family where the mother would be at home tending to the kids, the mm. father would be out working, then he'd go and get drunk, and then it wasn't very good for the household. Oh, it was uh, no good for the household at all. Um, no good for anybody. And no good for, you know, social order and the like, you know, um, people kind of falling about and fighting and um, becoming unwell, not being able to support their families, and, of course, all the harm that was done to families by drunkenness. Um, but beyond that, like, it's important to remember, I suppose, the state of New Zealand at the time... And for the 20 years before um, the Prohibition movement came about, which was kind of a, you know, gold rush era. Yeah. Um, and so men were working uh, in large groups, usually just out in the wops, um, in tents, kind of roughing it and mm-hmm. working very long hours, uh, breaking in the land and the like. So they'd get their paycheck in this um, very familiar tradition uh, to us today, uh, developed called the spree. Uh, was when you when you take your paycheck into town and spend it on uh, as much liquor and good company as you can find, <laughs> um, and and then return to work, which is probably you know a good distance away from any urban area that you go to find your pleasures, and you do it all over again. Yeah, slog away and then come and spend. So the um, kind of pitiful image that the temperance campaign often brought up was of um, the wife going from pub to pub trying to find her husband before she's before he spent the entire yeah. week's paycheck yeah 
So, I mean, there were people on the goldfields that were making a mint and coming off with nothing. Yeah, and I mean, that was, uh, you know, beyond the health issues. Uh, there was an economic <laughs> issue here. Like, um, you know, the powers that be uh, did not want New Zealand to stay in this kind of um, frontier, Wild West rut. They yeah. wanted it to um, to prosper and to come into a kind of orderly national unit. And um, booze was standing in the way of that. Yeah, because, mm. you know, you, you look at small towns and it's like, man, that place had like five pubs. I wonder mm-hmm. how it managed to do that. Because yeah. they were spending a lot of money. Most certainly. And, I mean, the, the amount of men as opposed to women and children out in New Zealand at the time, um, you can see why there were more pubs than play centres, for example. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So how did the temperance movement begin? Where was its root beginnings in Aotearoa? Well, um, we had a visit from a messiah of sorts, and uh, her name was Mary Clement Leavitt. And she uh, visited in 1885 as part of this kind of whirlwind tour she went all um just throughout the world and arrived uh, from boston i believe by boat and she was a, a, an envoy from the women's christian temperance union which just started yeah. up um in america uh, much due, well, due to the same concerns uh, that women were beginning to have in new zealand um yeah. that a drink was becoming a problem it needed to be controlled or banned altogether and um the union had seen some successes with organizing and with um small victories um, in kind of state level uh, struggles so she'd come over with the good news and to encourage New Zealand women um, to kind of see her point of view which they very readily did and um, to encourage them to organise and she had great success in doing that as well Yeah. So, mm. so women didn't have the right to vote they didn't really have any power uh, in the country so what made Parliament stand up and, say, and take this kind of movement serious? Well I'd say it was their sheer numbers in the end and also the energy behind the movement and the fact that it was supported much widely than women. And um, when I say women, it was a rather diverse body of women to begin with. Mm-hmm. There were um, there were huge popular support among working class women who just wanted to have enough to feed themselves and their kids, who wanted to be safe from family violence and the like. Um, but from the get-go, uh, those ten branches that formed after Mary Levitt toured New Zealand, um, they were led by rather prominent women um, mm-hmm. who were... Uh, educated, who were skilled, and who could afford uh, maids. You know, um, they had plenty of free time to organise and to reach out to supporters and form um, really powerful kind of political networks around this cause. You know, the wives of MPs, ministers, yeah. reverends' wives, and um, there was also a Māori membership. Um, you know, who had their distinct concerns as well. Women um, beyond the the health and safety uh, issues, um, losing land through liquor. You know, having their husbands getting drunk and um, making uh, bad selling decisions or missing land court hearings. So there were very diverse interests united under this cause, and eventually uh, I don't think Parliament could ignore it. No, okay. So um, from that we get to, well, kind of a little bit before that, we get to 1881, Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a licensing act. Um, This isn't, you know, this is 12 years before women got the right to vote. what was with the licensing act? What did it say? Um, the licensing act opened up the possibility for um, individual electorates, more or less, to vote on how, if uh, liquor would be controlled in the area. Yeah, they could vote to prohibit the sale outright. They could vote for control or for um, just kind of a laissez-faire approach. And uh, as I understand it, um, women were allowed to sit on these uh, boards, mm-hmm. um, which would make decisions surrounding the region's control of liquor. Yeah. And so um, this brought um, the kind of women's Christian temperance organisation uh, into direct conflict with 
liquor interests. Yes. Yes. The barons. With the big bosses. The, the, yeah, the barrel barons. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, a lot of the early um, areas to take up going dry were down south. Correct. Uh, Clutha, mm-hmm. um, Chalmers, mm-hmm. yeah, Southland, Invercargill. Um, they were the first ones to go, but Clutha was definitely the first, I think, that was not long after. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, what came of, of that? Did it get taken up quite far nationwide, or was it still kind of quite small in terms of going dry at that time? Um, there were certainly a lot of regions that elected to go dry. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can kind of um, see the logic behind it. Uh, there was a lot more scope for misbehaviour out in the rural areas, mm-hmm. which is why I think a lot of Southland were re- relieved to have some means of controlling liquor consumption. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, definitely had a lot of popular support to it. But um, the organisers, especially, you know, at the head of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, didn't feel like this legislation went far enough. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure the opposition thought it went too far. So who was, who was on the other side of this temperance movement? Well, um, interestingly, uh, a fairly diverse group as well. Yeah. I mean, we can imagine that um, those leading uh, the opposition were uh, kind of economically interested yes, of in course. the issue. Um, folks who were uh, importing or who were making spirits and beers. Um, New Zealand had uh, just created its own, you know, had a fledgling beer industry going, Spates being among them. Mm-hmm. And so um, the kind of folks at the head of that um, were definitely very, very far, um, kind of visible in that struggle. But there were, also, um, there were also others. A lot of Catholics and members of Episcopalian churches uh, felt like this was kind of evangelical Protestants trying to trying to control the working man's pleasures <laughs> and trying to get in the way of the sacrament beyond that, you know? Um, kind of, um, you know, drinking wine in church. Yes. Even that was problematic to um, some temperance advocates. And so they alienated a lot of Catholics. Um, well, Jesus yeah. did turn water into wine. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, so, 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 the, so Catholics were alienated. So this put a split uh, in the Christian body as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. And really the split comes down to the fact that it's another dom- denomination doing it. Yes, yeah. That, so, you know, it even <laughs> so it wasn't really all based on um, the fact that whether liquor's good or not. It's just the mm. fact that we don't like the Protestants. So. Yeah, the other sectarian concerns definitely came into it too. I mean, you know, Catholics um, weren't a numerical majority in New Zealand and so it was a bit of a kind of clash of uh, clash of populations, I suppose. Um, people not wanting to be marginalised in this emerging nation that we had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so um, that, that debate took all forms and liquor was one of them, yeah. Okay, so um, so that's interesting. And, and so that happens the um, in 1881. And then we get to 1893, uh, which is the year of, of um, universal suffrage was mm-hmm. achieved. Um, but that's the year Premier Richard Seddon introduced the Alcoholic Liquors Sale Control Bill um, prohibition. Mm-hmm. And then the Tempest Movement moved on mass with this one, right? Absolutely. Um, really took it to heart. Yeah. And so women were not only exercising their right to vote for the first time, but they were voting um, in this kind of historic issue that yeah. was... Um, and this is part of the reason yeah. why women got the right to vote, right? 
Yes, and I think that's rather interesting um, when you look at it a little more closely. I mean, um, the writings of John Stuart Mill were popular amongst, uh, you know, the more educated folk in New Zealand. Some parliamentarians even quoted him, you know, his argument for women's equality, women's franchise. Um, but that kind of humanitarian interest mixed with a lot of others. And uh, some of them uh, were rather practical when it came, came to New Zealand's future, for example. Um, you want an industrious and sober population of taxpayers, yeah. um, you know, to, to lead the nation forward. Uh, so this, um, the kind of benefits of enfranchising women with the confidence that they would probably vote for prohibition yeah. uh, was a rather good decision, political-wise. Yeah, that's interesting, because, I mean, overseas, um, industrial leaders were huge proponents of this. Like Henry Ford was one of the biggest uh, mm -hmm. players in terms of... Uh, industrial people trying to get prohibition yes. because it would have a positive impact on his workforce. Mm, so it absolutely. was the same here in, in Aotearoa as well. Most certainly, yeah. yeah. And there was even the talk of, uh, you know, because uh, married men were already considered to have two votes, more or less. They were voting for their wives' interests and for yeah. their husbands. And if women were enfranchised, married couples who had settled down and who were living um, stable, productive um kind of lives as citizens, uh, would essentially have two votes. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, single working men who had not managed to settle down and perhaps secure an interest like their more productive counterparts had, would only have one vote. And so it was a way of uh, giving the respectable classes of New Zealand a greater voice as well. Ah, I see, I see. So the hoity-toity mm. um, getting their way... Yeah, rather clever, rather clever. And industrialists, yeah, as, as you say, if they weren't directly benefiting from the liquor trade at the time, they had every reason to support it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, but the, the, then there was the formation of the National Council of New Zealand, which was um, the publicans, essentially, mm -hmm. and they pushed back quite heavily too. They did, they did, and they threw a lot of uh, rhetoric back at um, the Women's Christian Temperance Union, at te temperance and prohibition supporters in general. Um, they're trying to kill the working man's pleasure, they're trying to turn this nation into um, some kind of funless, you know, hellscape, whatever it might be. Um, they did push back quite strongly. Yeah. Yes. Then um, finally in today's um, history time, we're going to get up to 1911, there was a referenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where you had to get 60% uh, majority to create prohibition in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happened there? Did not go through. But it was very... <laughs> Very close. Oh, it's I think 58.6%. Millimetres, yeah. It was yeah. a tiny, tiny, tiny um, majority that they needed to win and they didn't get it. They didn't get it. So that happened in 1911, mm -hmm. um, but then there was another one. And we'll get on to that next week. Mm -hmm. um, Post-war Aotearoa, troops are coming back. How do they feel about things? We'll find out next week. Looking forward to it. Cheers. Okay. Thank you. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz